Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, we've got Fred, the CEO of Atari. Now, anyone who's been a gamer for a while like myself will very likely know who Atari is. They were monumental and foundational from the beginning of video games right up until today. So they're still around, but they've changed slightly over the years. There's been a few different handovers and a few different bits of direction, but now they're getting back in the game of creating consoles. So I talked to Fred about this and much more. Enjoy the episode. For those of you who have also lost your employment or are looking to skill up, we're trying to help here at Big Esports. We have an esports fundamentals course, which is helping people to understand an entry point into the employment within the esports and gaming market, whether you're coming straight out of college, university, high school, or whether you're trying to transition from another sport. To provide support for all of you, we're offering a pay-as-you-feel model. So you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash education. If you've lost your main line of employment and you can't afford to pay right now, now at all that's perfectly fine we're able to offer it up to you for free you can pay now you can pay later you can choose whatever you want the course is usually 127 dollars aud you can take it now for whatever you feel is appropriate or whatever you're able to afford hopefully this will help a few of you get back on your feet in the short term and also the long term here we go we're live fred mate how are you good how are you fantastic mate we've got you for the next 30 minutes which i appreciate very much so I've got a lot to talk about. Hopefully, we can blast through it really quickly. Sure. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. So, for everybody listening on LinkedIn Live here at the moment or to the audio-only podcast later, you know, we like I said in the introduction that you'll listen to later, we've got Fred here from, you could say, like a godly brand within the gaming market as a whole, you know, a real, a real pioneer and innovator brand in the space with Atari. But, Fred, I'd love to first off learn a little bit more about you. Can you touch on quickly about your history in business and your pathway to becoming the, the chairman and CEO of, of Atari? Yeah, sure. Uh, so... You know, initially uh, I was born, raised in France, um, and I was in the banking uh, world. So to say, I was investing, and mm-hmm. I started basically to invest in video games in the, well, around 1995. And at the time, I was working at Resort, and we were advising a, a French video game company uh, called Infogrames. I left the bank in 2000, and at the time, Infogrames had bought the Atari brand from Hasbro, and we had renamed the company Atari. So we bought it the first, the first time from Hasbro. Um, we renamed the company Atari across the world, and we sold basically the company to a hedge fund around 20, 2006, 2007, because it came over time gradually. They became the largest shareholder. Uh, so I, I left. We all left, basically, and I started to do things on my own. So I kept investing in games. Uh, I'm responsible for... Uh, Fitness games, for instance, Jill and Michael also invested in zombie games. And came late 2012, early 2013, the hedge fund, uh, which had bought the, the, the company from us, went uh, into liquidation. And they also, the, so the hedge fund itself went into, into liquidation. And they called me back and they said, look, uh, we're filing for bankruptcy for Atari in the US. Uh, are you interested? So took me like basically 24 hours to say, yeah, yeah I'll do it. And uh, 48 hours to find the money to buy it back. And uh, so yeah. I ended up becoming the first, uh, the major shareholder uh, of Atari in 2013. And it took us, I would say, one year to extricate ourselves from the bankruptcy process. At the time, the company was doing 1 million euros of revenue, and we had uh, around more than 30 million euros of debt. So <laughs> it was mm, quite wow. deep in the hole. 
And yeah. yeah, so it was one year to basically leave bankruptcy in the US and then three years to survive, three years to reboot. And uh, you see where we are today. Yeah, yeah wow. It's a, long, it's a long process. But you said like throughout that whole time game. So is that has that been a passion, like a personal passion for you? Yeah, I've always liked, you know, innovation and games. Uh, I'm not the... Pro- I'm not the, the programmer, definitely not. I'm not the producer. I am more the, the executive producer. Uh, mm. So I'll, I'll try to make things happen, so to say. Uh, yeah. But I try to, you know, I have to rely on teams. So it's uh, the beauty of this business, I think, is, you know, you always want to create and you don't know if this is going to work. Uh, but if it works, it's great. And uh, the most difficult part of it is just to realize and acknowledge that you've made a mistake. So if you kill the game early enough, you will not lose money, not, a, not mm. too much. So you can still come back. It's like poker, right? You want to stay at the table. So don't go all in um, for each project because you're going to end up bust. Um, I think it's just a question of, you know, okay, I've made a mistake. Let's kill it. Let's stop here. Don't, there's no point in trying to put the game into the market because you're going to lose more money. So it's very mm. difficult. You have to be... Um, uh, really cold in the analysis and you have to acknowledge that you've made a mistake. That's the most difficult part of it. Something I'd love to get your thoughts on too, what I've seen a bit is is these small indie studios may make, say, one mobile game. It'll explode, it'll go huge, but then they really struggle to get that follow-up game. Is there a lot of pressure from these studios? Maybe they've gained investment off the back of you know their previous success and now they're being pushed like you need more than a one-hit wonder. Yeah, I think the way I see it, and I've never run any studio uh, I've always been on the publisher side or the investor side or the, the executive producer side. So mm. it's a very difficult business. Um, let me tell you why. First, you know, it's like playing tennis. You have one Federer, you have one Nadal, but you have like thousands, millions of tennis players. So, so people tend to look at one success, rightly, I would say, but they say, oh, wow, it, it looks very easy. It seems easy. Look at these guys. They have invested uh, X and they've made one millionth time their money. Mm. And you're like, yeah, but so it's great. But don't forget, <laughs> just, you have one Federer, you have one Nadal, and you have millions of tennis players in the, in the world. So you have, I, I don't want to mm. say millions of studios, but you have a lot of studios who, who didn't make it. So you have to be very mindful of that. And then I would say that the, the second issue with the, um, uh, with the development studios that I found is these guys are devs and they kind of, you know, put everything inside the game and they forget that you also need some marketing dollars, you also need some PR dollars. So this is mm-hmm. why you see a lot of um, examples and, you know, sad stories for studios and great stories for publishers where, you know, you have a studio that has invested more than uh, it had into the game and the studio is that close to beta, but they don't have the money to finish beta and invest in marketing. And you have a publisher or somebody who has the money who is basically picking up the, the project. Mm. So it's, very, it's, um, it's a very, very difficult situation. And what I'm trying to do here at Tori is you know, also to recognize that and trying to help and trying to basically... Uh, bring product to the some products to the market but it's very difficult and the point is once you have the the great game usually the sequel is easy because you have a, you have money flowing <laughs> that i've seen i've, <laughs> I've explained mm-hmm. that situation so you don't have a lot of problem it's only after like two years or three years that you're like okay what do we want to do so it's uh but this is you know 
it's basically a studio becoming a publisher. In uh, when you come from a publishing side, you you're at, you all always have you know this question because you've dealt with them. In uh, you've failed many times as a publisher. You know you are successful as a publisher just because you have two or three franchises that you know basically bring you the money, and then you try you keep investing in in other franchises, and you it's very difficult. So you make some mistakes, but you have different cards. You have different you know, different ways to play. But as a studio, usually it's a one-trick pony. So this, this makes it more difficult for a studio to survive and, uh, and you know, live for 10, is, 15, 20 years. And is part of it the noise in the market? I feel like as a gamer myself, um, there's just so many games. I can barely choose what to play anymore. And they're across mobile, they're across console, they're across PC, and everything's just fighting for my attention all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so... Yeah. We also are, you know, a lot of players as well. So, you know, the, the beauty of our business, this is why we're all still alive and this is why we're still in the industry, is that we still have a growing population of gamers. You have, like, yeah. uh, you know, initially it was mainly, ma- uh, mainly male and then female came in and it was mainly US, Europe. Now you have South America, China, and you have now all the people playing, right? Um, mm. So I, I still tend to believe that between 40 and 60, there's a kind of black box. People are not really playing. So we just have to wait and we'll capture that, that audience as well. So yes, you have more and more games because there's clearly no, no barrier to entry, but you have more and more players and you, you're going to have more and more players and you're going to have more and more platforms to play on, like phones, mm. iPads. So, I mean, I believe that the industry has a lot of growth potential. You have of course, esports, which is a new style of gameplay. Uh, it's a, you have fun doing different stuff with games. So yes, you have more and more games, but you have more and more players, more and more audience. At the end of the day, it's only you know there's only only one limit, which is 24 hours a day. So even if you multitask, maybe you can say you have 36 hours a day. Uh, but we are in competition not only with other publishers; we're in competition with Facebook, Snapchat, uh, every app, every. Uh, experience that captures your attention uh, is a competitor to us. The time mm. you spend on Facebook is time you don't spend playing. Uh, so that's bad for us. So some of the some of the business talk I've, I've got out of what you were saying is that you know if you're the publisher, you can work on more titles, for example, and have a little bit less risk and and more ownership. But also, for me as as a, as a you know as a business owner myself is more ownership could be producing your own console. I think that's probably a perfect segue like into the Atari VCS that you guys are working on as well. I've yeah. seen there's been like a like a few um, delays. Are you able to, to comment on when that's likely to yeah, come yeah, out? Yeah, sure. Well? No, no, it's, so there's a blog um, out there so <clears throat> that basically traces the story. So we started the vision behind uh, the VCS was, okay, you have two companies, Apple and Google, who, who are basically controlling the, the phone market. But there's mm-hmm. nothing really in the living room where you have a PC for the masses, a, a PC or a very nice machine that would be easy to use and that would basically have a lot of uh, applications, plus that would be a PC. So this is what we've tried to do. At the end of the day, it's a Joy video computer system. So it's a video system and a computer system. It's an open system. You, uh, it's Linux-based. But at the same time, you can also install install any operating system that you want, right? So it's really a PC that you can expand, that you can upgrade, that you can uh, modify if you want in terms of memory or, or, or operating system. But the point is for the PC to be in basically 
the living room or uh, for very, very casual use. Uh, I was tired, you know, every time I watch Amazon or Netflix of having to go arrow down, arrow up. So I was, the, the point was, or is, there is room for a personal computer uh, for the masses in the living room. Uh, so this is why we created the VCS. It's a, you know, eight, uh, eight giga uh, machine, uh, gig, giga machine. It comes with uh, a lot of games a lot of uh, content as well and it's not very very expensive for a personal computer because that's my view so what we did we started and it's true that we we learned as we walked but the, we basically had the delay for two delays for very simple reasons one we had to upgrade the, the chip the amd chip so now we're using ryzen which is the latest version of the chip and i think the bad decision which was you know requested by the community the upgrade, the upgrade of the chip we made it and we lost nine months basically that was the first thing and of course the second impact is the coronavirus uh, uh i think we're announcing tomorrow maybe tonight uh there's a blog we're updating and we're announcing that as planned we will have our first 500 machines which i think is a uh, quite an achieved environment so we have our first 500 machines this month uh, starting mm -hmm. in, in april and end of in april and may uh so we are announcing this we have uh, the machines uh, in production. We have the factory. We are, of course, working on the supply chain, just like everybody. Um, but that's the second reason we were to launch in March, April. Now we we've pushed that to uh, you know. To, right now we don't even uh, we don't even announce a date in 2020 because we know that we still have a few things to do in in terms of supply chain. But we are really dependent on what's going on in China, right? We are building machines. We are manufacturing machines, so we are ready to go. It's really a question mm -hmm. of getting the parts to go to the next level of production. But we are in uh, in mass production. And do you guys do you guys feel that same pressure that I talked about before that some of these studios feel? Obviously, Atari's been so you know you could say monumental in the growth of console gaming or just gaming as a whole in the history of of the world. And now you guys are kind of coming up with a follow up after so many years off. Yeah, yeah, we do feel the pressure. You know, it was. Um, and uh, again, yeah, I would love to, I have done it many times, but I'd like to thank again uh, the, the people who have uh, supported us so far. We were at Indiegogo and we're buying the machines online. Um, it's really, you know, it's an adventure. We're trying, you, you have a team that is doing everything they can just to deliver and have a great product. Uh, so, yes, we do feel the pressure. We believe that we have something which is, is there's nothing unique, right? But we have a right combination, I would say, of the, a personal computer for the masses with an Atari environment, which is curated where you can find games just like in any console. Uh, so we believe that we have something great. We believe, it, we believe it's uh, cheap. I don't know exactly what's the status of the other consoles. I, uh, you know, we knew that we were supposed to, to launch this year and that we've we haven't heard anything, <laughs> so I'm assuming it's delayed. Um, yeah, so we all feel we, we feel the pressure. You know, it's not it's not easy right now to to organize distribution. This is why we're selling it online. Um, we have people uh, sending, I mean, adding their names to a wish list. There's a wish list. So if you go to atrivcs.com, you can go into a wish list, and we'll be working on more uh, marketing initiatives. But uh, yeah, we feel the pressure, of course. Mm. And Part of what I wanted to talk about with you today is is kind of the wider Atari. You know, obviously you started off, um, you know, back in the day with, with basically just consoles with some titles as well. But now there's been so much diversification. You know, if you go to the Atari website straight away, you can see, you know, games, casino, obviously the VCS system, partnerships and a, and a cryptocurrency as well. I'm really interested to learn from you is, you know, what, 
what are the most important pillars for you there? Is there any certain focus on on some versus the others? And then we've got some got some follow ups to discuss after that. Look, we have basically three projects, right? We have three business lines. The first one is games. So just like everybody, we are a physical game, meaning games at retail. We use partners for that. So back in the day, we had uh, 2,500 employees, uh, of which maybe 700 doing distribution. Uh, I mean, the market has changed, our industry has changed. Um, so we do games, mobile, PC, but mainly online, and console, but mainly online. And we start with mobile. The second thing we do is the video computer system. Okay, that's super important. And then, if you go back to the game, we can use these games to generate more revenue because Atari is a brand that is more in video games. Uh, everyone knows the brand, so of course we do the typical licensing activities: uh, T-shirts. That's fine. It's not making a lot of money. But what's really the the bread and butter of the uh, the licensing business is. All, all these little toys, the machines, the, the arcade gaming machines that uh, are 10 centimeters, 30 centimeters, uh, or even the big ones. This is a big revenue stream for us um, in terms okay. of royalty. So here you don't see that when you look at the books, you don't see the millions of dollars that when the, the machines are sold by our partners, you just see the royalties. Mm-hmm. But when we collect $2 million of royalties or $3 million of royalties, it means that our partner has sold for $30 million worth of machines. So the way we are organized doesn't really, uh, unfortunately, doesn't really show the, the power of the brand, but there's a huge, huge, huge power here. So the games, we use them for T-shirts, not a big business, the machines, the, the, the toys, the arcade gaming machines, and we also have you know some appearances, some cameos in movies, TV shows, TV series. So that's mm. some decent money, but the most important for us is everything we do with the toys, the replicas of the Atari 2600. So games, the video computer system, the licensing, and then what, you know, because I've always believed in, uh, in, in crypto and in the fact that with a brand such as Atari, we could really bring something uh, quite big. Uh, yes, we've announced that we were uh, launching the Atari token, which is our cryptocurrency. It's a project that we had um, initiated in 2018 because the, we had a team at the time, we had struck an agreement and we thought that we would be able to deliver. At the end of the day, cryptocurrencies are very, very difficult to implement and we realized, we jointly realized with the team at the INL that you know, it was not going basically in the right direction. So we got the, right, the rights back early 2020 and then I decided to really do it the way I wanted to do it. So we are launching the token on the one end. At the same time, we are helping people and sponsoring as many platforms as possible so that the token can be used inside games, in the industry, and maybe outside of the industry, but on as many platforms as possible. We don't, uh, the initial plan was to launch a token and have it only uh, uh, as, a use to- as a utility token on one platform. It's different. It's you're launching the token, that's project, one and project two is instead of us being the only ones developing a platform, a smart platform, we are going to help as many people as possible to develop as many platforms as possible. Mm. And can you touch on the hotel as well? Is that one of these licensing or is that direct? Yeah, it's a licensing. It's just <laughs> so it was more like the the thing came up because I'm not sure if people know that, but Steve Jobs and Wozniak um, were the were employees of Atari. I think Steve Jobs was uh, employee number twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was invited to, 
to the, the Stephen Wozniak's tech um, conference in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. It was uh, what, October or November last year. That was his birthday, and we, we had decided that it was a surprise to him to have a kind of cool moment on stage where I would interview him, and I would also show him the new uh, Joy Video Computer System, the new VCS. And then, you know, during that um, convention, I came across some people who were doing real estate, and as a joke, I said, you know what, what we should really do, and uh, I think this would be super cool, is to do some Joy hotels, hotels where you would, as a guest, you would go there and you would find, of course, video games in the lobby, in the, in the room. But more importantly, you would find guests who are also interested in video games. Mm. <laughs> and they said, no, we want to do it. They were building, a, I didn't know that at the time, they were building a hotel in, in Phoenix. So this is why the first hotel, the first Atari hotel would be in Phoenix. And we've announced it in uh, seven other cities with them. And I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, you have a... a I realized that after that, that uh, Taco Bell was building uh, also kind of a themed hotel. So mm. if you have a non-branding hotel, okay, of course, I'm not talking like the big chain, but if you if you have a non-branded hotel, if you have a Taco Bell hotel, or if you have an Atari hotel where I'm going to meet people who love video games like me, I think I'm going to go with the Atari hotel. But this competition, I know that there are people who love Taco Bell, so they'll go to the Taco Bell one. Because <laughs> there's even like a Nickelodeon hotel right in in yeah, uh, it, across it, america as well i i think uh, you know well look, the current environment you know with the current crisis is very difficult it's very uh, it's nothing which is i mean the conditions of pressure and temperature have changed right but mm. we're going to go back to some new normal i think you know at the end of the day when you you spend time in a hotel you want to have a, a nice experience uh, is it, you know, with the big chains like the, the Mandarin Oriental or if you go to a casino hotel in Las Vegas, here you go to a hotel where you, which is about video games. I think, you know, the next big thing, for instance, uh, and I was thinking about the hotel because my big plan <laughs> had always been to create a, an amusement park based on video games. Mm. I call it a toy land. And it's true because you go to... You go to Florida, you're like, I've been to the park what, what, 10 times, 15 times. I know them by heart. And I think having an amusement park based on video games, you see some in the Middle East. I think having a big video uh, amusement park based on video games would be cool. Uh, yeah. So that's why I came up with this idea of the hotels. And uh, it picked up. So we'll see. Look at the joke turns into reality. There you go. <laughs> I'd, I'm interested to touch on again about about the VCS. So you said that, um, like a lot of the philosophy around the VCS is that there's no kind of one entertainment system sitting in the lounge room. So is it your is it the vision for the company to kind of um, you know reinvent the way that that people consume media? Is it meant to be a, a, ch- a really change in the thoughts of the people in the market, or is it meant to be more of a just something cool to to use off on the side? I'm I'm just not exactly clear on that. So I'd love for you to re-explain. Uh, I think you know. Right now, you can play games, you know, anywhere, anyhow, and uh, at any time. So I think mm-hmm. we just saw that in the living room, there was a hole, so to say, and there was a hole to be filled in terms of demand and uh, offering. So we said, you know, let's let's put a, a computer in the living room, a nice one, a computer that you can use to stream. You can you want to stream your if you today if I want to. St- play my stream, uh, my games on Steam, PC games. It, it's not in the living room, so I can't really share it. It's not really convenient. If I want mm. to play Minecraft with um, with my kids or whoever, it's not very convenient. 
so my view was really, well, it's not my only idea because it's not like a one-man show. It's, but the, the goal was to, or the, one of the use cases was, well, one, of, one of the use cases was, I'm in the living room. I want to play Steam PC games with my friend in a very cool environment, you know, uh, sitting on the couch. How do I do it? And it's, it's not that easy because most of the consoles, well, consoles are no longer in the living room, right? They are more in like the den or something like this. So I think it's having a, a cool PC open, uh, something, you know, you can't do on the, on the Sony PlayStation, for instance. Uh, but that was one of the use cases. But at the end of the day, we've tried to, we're trying to bring to the market a, a, a machine that is very, um, very flexible. Uh, you can stream, you can download, you can store, you can, uh, and you have your console environment, so we say. Uh, mm. Of course, we haven't invested the billions of dollars of Microsoft and Sony, so it's very different. It's a video computer system. It's in the name, computer system, with a video and with a, a, some Atari environment. Mm. That's definitely some, like what you're saying is definitely a problem that I've had in the past, having friends around, you know, being a, a PC gamer primarily and not really having anything in the lounge room. You know, when they come over, it's kind of like, what games can we play? And I, I don't really have an offer. I'd love to learn more from you as well. I've seen every, it seems like every console since around the PS4 generation has been using AMD inside instead of Intel, NVIDIA or, or any other options. Is that, a, is that a business decision for you guys? Like, I'd love to touch on why you've chosen that internal hardware. So, um, uh, you know, I'm not the tech guy here, so I've, I was not really part of all the the, the, the discussions, analysis. At the end of the day, the team came and said, look, this is the right one. Well, I briefly looked, and I trusted everybody to tell me it was the right decision. So I don't I don't think I can really comment and give you, uh, I mean, enter into a discussion of comparing all the chips. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, no worries. I would well, be- some way out of my comfort zone here. <laughs> Sometimes you got to stay in your lane. And if someone is listening to this who wants to look up the hardcore tech specifications or ask any questions, is there anywhere that anywhere that they should contact any articles they should read that you're aware of? Yeah, it's uh, joyvcs.com, www.joyvcs.com, video computer system. Yeah, it's a computer system. It's in the name. Cool. And you, you briefly mentioned esports during the start of it. I'd love to get Atari's thoughts. I really haven't seen you guys much into that market. Obviously, I think it was, what was it that you see this on on decks all the time? Like the first ever esports tournament was like a Pong one, I think, at a university in the yeah. US in like the 70s or so, the 80s. But yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on esports today. Is, is that a viable thing for you guys to get into? Uh, first, esports is a viable thing uh, as long as you have the game. Okay. So. If you have a game like League of Legends, if you have the game, you can have an mm. esports team because you have the masses, you have the audience, you have the competition, um, and you have the depth of the game so that you can really invest time and you can make a difference. Mm-hmm. If you look at the games uh, that, are public, that are owned by Atari, they were made in the 70s. So the only esport things we could uh, think of would be not necessarily esports, but more like wagers. I'm going to bet a dollar, you're going to bet a dollar, and the winner will take home 190, and the platform will keep 10, okay? Mm. So I think esports is a big, big, big business. It's uh, something that I love to watch personally. I think it's better to watch esports than to watch TV, and, you know, the regular stuff. So you, you look at the numbers, right? Uh, between Fortnite, uh, League of Legends, uh, you have serious money, and you have great audiences. I think we don't have the portfolio to basically compete against these, um, these games. 
what we and we have a, a participation in a stake in the company called Game Taco, which is uh, building a platform to allow more like the one-on-one, -on -one, very casual competition. Uh, this is where we we try to basically have our uh, have a position. It doesn't mean that we, at the end of the day, when you look at the size uh, the sizes of each industry, you can have a lot of people playing a game of pong. Uh, so I think it's just you. It all comes down to the game. And this is why, mm. for instance, esports will always be different. You know, the difference for me between esports and the NFL, the rules are changing at the NFL, okay, from time to time, but you can compare uh, the game today to the game, you know, that was played five years, six years ago, because it's still the game of football, I mean, American football, or even if you take mm. European football, soccer, right? You can compare. Here, yeah. you have a game. I think each game is a game of a generation. For instance, if you take World of Warcraft, today you can have competition, of course, but I think the competition is more uh, around um, Fortnite and League of Legends because these are the games that are played by the current generation. And in 10 years, you're going to have a different game, right? Mm. If you're good at eSport, you are good at eSport in one game. You're not good at every game. It's impossible because it's it's eSport, so it's not really one sport. It's one game each time. So I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm clear on the on mm -hmm. message I'm trying to, to, to say here. That's why having, having eSports e at the Olympic Games, for me, I don't think it would happen because it means that not only you're going to give a, an edge to a big publisher, <laughs> mm. But you can be good at Fortnite, and you maybe you're terrible at any uh, at another game. So you have too much specialization. It's just like you have the 100 meter dash, the the 200 meter, and the, the 3,000. I don't know what. Um, mm. It means that having esports at the at the Olympics would mean for me having 10, 15 different games. Yeah, a casual yeah. game, non-casual, just like you have if you got uh, if you take uh, you know. Uh, tracks you have like what 20 30 you have the marathon you if you, you you can win the marathon you're never going to win the 100 meter dash it's impossible yeah and you, and you definitely highlighted a few things in there about esports versus gaming and you know talking to some other mobile publishers as well you know they're then making say hyper casual mid-court games and, and they're not going to pretend that their game will ever be an esport because it doesn't have the skill ceiling of a league of legends the replayability of a csgo but just by implementing some simple features say a leaderboard say you know whoever's got the highest score on the leaderboard by the end of the week wins 100 in-game tokens or things like that you know, I've, in in their words, I've seen a three hundred percent increase in in player time and and retention just because people want to play in some form of competition. And definitely on the wagering thing, you said too. You know, one of our clients is Unicorn, an esports wagering company, and they agree with you one hundred percent. That's one yeah. of their things they're rolling out, which is a you know a one versus one in in Street Fighter, just for a casual person. You know, each throw down five dollars, the house takes a bit of a cut and. and Who's best? Take tennis, the same. You have the you have Wimbledon. Okay, not this year. You have Wimbledon, but then every week you have a small tournaments. I can play against you tennis. We're gonna have fun. It's still sport. It's still tennis, but you just have mm. different levels. That's all. So mm. we play casually. We don't play casually. You have professionals. You only have one or two or ten, top ten guys. It is uh, it's the same. It's the same analogy. But esports is different. It's a is one category of sport, but you have different, different types of competitions inside in sports, but which is perfectly fine with me. I don't care as long as I, I love watching the game. That's fine. Yeah. And you, you definitely had some good comments, in my opinion, on the Olympics as well, especially around, I think most people don't consider the commercialization aspect of it. Like what games do the Olympics pick? And then there's a commercialization aspect behind that. If they pick 
League of Legends, well, that's owned by Tencent, and there's a commercial uh, relationship that could that could in, that could transpire because no one owns the rights to running. For example, you can you can strap on your shoes and you can go and run, or you can go and swim at the beach for free. But someone owns League of Legends. You've got an account that's owned by them. You're playing on their platform. They're pushing microtransactions to you. I think that's a layer that most people don't discuss. No, but it, don't, don't get me wrong. I believe that uh, you know, just like you have chess players, you have uh, videos video game players i think that uh, there's a lot of skill there's a lot of expertise you don't become like a number one ranked player at uh, fortnite wherever uh like this so i think that it, it is a great achievement i'm not trying to compare you know, that achievement to uh, i don't know like uh, the guy uh, running the 100 meter dash it doesn't make sense it, it's, it's not the point of trying to compete it's to compare saying oh that guy does it that guy doesn't do it Who's the best? Doesn't matter. It's fun each time. You know, sports. It's it's competition, but it's fun. It's you want to see who's the best at doing one thing. That's it. This is sports. This is chess for me. Is it sport? I don't care. It's fun, and it's there's a form of competition. There's a form of A versus B or two two teammates versus two other teammates, and you love competition. You love some form of activity. That's it. It's it is as honorable. <laughs> it is as honorable for me to run the 100 meter dash or to compete at uh, in League of Legends or any other game or a game of pong or a game of go, game of chess. Mm. That's it. You don't have like a, some noble sports or some non noble sports. <laughs> Everything is fine. Yeah, exactly. And a, and a final question, and a final question, because I know you have to head off. That that came through to me is is once again about the VCS or even or even Atari as a whole. Are you guys going to be focusing on your old titles and developing internally, or will you also be integrating third party um, third party developers to come in and make titles for your platform, whether it be indie or, or mainstream publishers? So uh, all of the above, meaning. We're going to have our own games. We're going to have on the new versions of our games. We're going to have any third-party title because it's an open system. And we even I'm even bringing that a little bit further in the sense that we have also granted licenses to third-party developers to reinvent the old Atari titles. So it's really, uh, you yeah. know, the more content, the better. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Well, thanks so much for joining Thank us today. Thanks for having and, me and just stay safe because I'm, I'm here in New York City and uh, we're still have, uh, we're just following the rules. So my wife got the virus. She's fine, but I can tell you she's very nasty up there. So just stay Oh, wow. Safe. Yeah, New York is, is, is not, the, not the place you want to be, I think, if you want to stay safe right now. So. This, is, this is not a joke. Thank you. Yeah, very much. fantastic. Well, thanks, thanks for joining us, Maiden. And if someone would like to connect with you online or, or follow Atari, where can they do so? Atari.com. Uh, and then you have a contact us. And I'm on Twitter as well, Fred Chenet. Fred is for French. And if you go Chessness, my last name and my first name, Chessness Fred, C-H-E-S-N-A-I-S-F-R-E-D. That's the, the Twitter handle in English. Chestnuts, C-H-E-S-N-A-I-S, Fred, F-R-E-D, which is short for Frederick. Thanks, Fred. And thanks for everyone who's listening in, whether it's the audio-only podcast or have tuned in live on, on Twitch or LinkedIn today. We'll be back with some more content very soon. Thanks, guys. Bye for now. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 